Thanks, Martine. And uh, keep your Bible open there because uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the whole chapter. That's the first half. Cliffhanger, isn't it? What's going to happen when he goes to see the king? Uh, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, yeah, how that all unfolds as well. Uh, last week, we began our journey through uh, this, this Old Testament book of Daniel, uh, Daniel the prophet, uh, Daniel who is in exile, remember? Uh, an Israelite by birth, uh, grew up in uh, and around Jerusalem, and yet now very far away. Uh, he's been torn out of that situation, his homeland, torn away from his family. In fact, uh, it's, it's almost as if that place doesn't exist anymore uh, because of what uh, Babylon and its king have have done to the temple and to the city. Uh, and Daniel's future, if he has one, is now very much tied to Nebuchadnezzar and the king. He's a, a servant, a slave uh, in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, which is a pretty tricky place to be uh, for anyone, as we've just uh, discovered in, in that uh, little reading. Uh, last week, we saw that for Daniel to uh, not only survive physically, but actually to remain faithful, so to survive spiritually in Babylon, he required uh, considerable courage, uh, courage to kind of know where to draw the line, really, and that a line had to be drawn, that he uh, was not to kind of uh, give himself wholly and solely to this new country and its king and its, its religion, uh, but rather he was to uh, reserve uh, first place in his heart for uh, the, the God of gods and, and the, the Lord of lords, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar himself uh, comes to uh, call uh, the Lord in, in this chapter. And so uh, that's, that was last week, courage. This week, uh, we see that courage itself isn't enough. Uh, that for Daniel, in fact, for, for us to remain faithful, uh, we also require another attribute, another gift from God, and that is uh, considerable wisdom. Uh, wisdom. I wonder where you kind of rank yourself in the wisdom stakes. Um, is that something that uh, God has given you, uh, that you ask Him for? Uh, hopefully after our uh, time in Daniel this morning, uh, you'll be encouraged uh, to do just that. Uh, how about we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this book and uh, the circumstances that Daniel is in, which in some ways mirror our own. Uh, of course, in other ways, uh, our circumstances are very different to his. Uh, and yet we ask that as we, uh, as we pay attention, that you would help us to see those similarities, that we might learn uh, what Daniel learned. Uh, and, and his friends learn uh, that you are uh, above and behind all things. You can be trusted uh, and you are always for uh, those who know you and love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder uh, how you sleep. I, I don't mean whether you sleep on your back or on your side or anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm more thinking about whether you sleep well or poorly. Uh, perhaps it might be a night-by-night thing. Uh, sometimes, some nights are good night's sleep and other nights are terrible. What do you do? What do you do if, if you do happen to find yourself lying in bed in the middle of the night? Uh, how, how do you deal with that situation? Uh, do you kind of just stay in bed, toss and turn, try not to wake up the person sleeping next to you if there is someone sleeping? Maybe you do try to wake up the person next to you. You want some company, you know, this kind of a little bit vigorous... You probably don't, actually, because the company that you wake up is never any good, is it? Um, so uh, maybe that's not your thing. Uh, maybe you're a get-up kind of person, middle of the night, you know, things aren't, sleep's not coming, uh, you're either uncomfortable in your body or your mind is racing, get up, make a cup of 
have, have something to eat or drink, turn on the telly, watch something mind-numbingly boring, hoping that will get you to sleep. In today's passage, uh, the king is having a bad night, maybe even multiple bad nights. He's having bad dreams and the dreams are waking him up and troubling him, agitating him is kind of the, the language. He cannot get back to sleep. Uh, for him, though, he's the king, right? So when he can't sleep, nobody else should be sleeping either. So his strategy uh, is to wake everybody else up, you know, to sound the alarms, ring the bells in, in the palace, wake everybody else up so that they can fix his problem for him, uh, in this case, so that they can interpret his dream. And so he calls in uh, all the wise uh, men, uh, the wise people of Babylon, those he... Uh, He is employed uh, for this very purpose. The magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, he's kind of got the whole gamut of of spiritual advisors, and he calls them all in, and he says to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Now, at this point, I think the guys are going, okay, not a problem. This This is our thing. This is our bag. This is what we're we're good at. Fine, Uh, tell us the dream and we will interpret it. Uh, But the king at this point says, no, not this time. Uh, No, you've misunderstood me, guys. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to come up with what the dream was and then interpret it for me. Now, just imagine uh, being one of these guys at this point. Uh, What's going on? Okay, he's just had a bad night's sleep. Well, we, we could put it down to that. He'll come around. He'll, he'll realise how unreasonable it is what he's, what he's asking. Uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar uh, won't have a bar of it. He says, no, no, I have firmly decided. And if you can't do what I ask of you, what good are you? Now, on the one hand, Nebuchadnezzar is being a totally unreasonable dictator, isn't he? Like, who could... It, impossible. But on the other hand, what does he employ these people for? Like, if they claim to have access to hidden information, that means that they can interpret any dream that he might put before them. It's kind of not that unreasonable for Nebuchadnezzar to expect that they can also tell him how much harder is it, you know, for them to get that information from somewhere as well. And so he says, no, not this time. You're going to have to do it all. And now they're really packing it because they know the truth, don't they? They know that whatever ability they have is only this big compared to the enormous task that Nebuchadnezzar has put before them. And they say it. They say, what What are you talking about? It's impossible. There's no one on earth. They, They try and talk him around. There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. In fact, what kind of king are you? No, no king has ever asked anybody to do this. However great and mighty they are, and you are great and mighty, may you live forever, uh, has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. And then they they finish with this line, which is quite profound and, and at least partly true. No one can reveal it to the king, except the gods, I suppose. I mean... That they might have access to it, but we don't have access to them. See what they admit there? 
They do not live among humans. We, we can't go to them. How, how can we possibly do what you've asked? They recognise that whatever gods they might have, they are aloof and inaccessible. But Nebuchadnezzar is not really interested in any of their excuses and he just says, off with their heads. He orders their execution. It's going to happen the next day. Now, a careful reader and, and someone with a good memory might actually at this point or during the reading of the first little part of chapter 2 be reminded of something that we read back in chapter 1 about dreams. Uh, because this isn't the first mention of dreams in Daniel. Do you remember that there was one person in particular who God had given a special ability? And we read about that back in chapter 1, verse 17. To the four friends, the four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Hmm. Maybe Daniel is going to be able to step in here. Although, it does say that Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all... It doesn't say that Daniel would be able to do this impossible task to, to tell the king his dream and then interpret it. So, uh, the new day dawns and Arioch, the commander, uh, goes out uh, to gather up, to collect all the wise men of Babylon, including Daniel and his friends, uh, to put them to death. Uh, but this is where... Daniel's wisdom and tact, as we read, comes into play. Uh, in verse 14, we read uh, that when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put the, to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. First of all, he inquired, what, what's going on? Why? Why are we to be put to death? Uh, and once he's inquired and he's found out the reason, he doesn't argue. Instead, he asks for an audience with the king. He goes before the king and he says, just give me a little time. Just give me a little bit of time. He doesn't complain, doesn't argue, doesn't say, oh, king, what's the point of killing us? Then you would lose all the benefits that we bring. Uh, neither does he ask the king to show any mercy. He, he understands that the, king has, the king's word is his bond, in a sense. The king would be diminished if he were to go back on his word. He would seem weak. He doesn't bother going down that path. But rather, he just asks for time and that's because he has a plan. It's a simple plan. But Daniel has a plan. Daniel understands that he is totally out of his depth. Daniel knows that whatever abilities that God has given him, they are not up to this task. Daniel knows that he can't save himself or anybody else. But Daniel also knows that he knows the one who can. This is something that Daniel knows that nobody else, none of the other magicians, astrologers, enchanters, etc., knew. They didn't know the God who could. And because Daniel knows that God, his decision is to pray. His decision is to go and plead and appeal to that God who is able to save, who is able to give both the interpretation and the dream itself. And so that's what he does. But he doesn't do it alone, which I think is... Great. He doesn't go, I know that God, so I will pray. He goes and he finds his friends. Remember his friends? Love these guys. Uh, he goes and finds them, and Daniel, uh, as in uh, when he's writing it down, writing the story, 
he uses their old names. Remember they've got their old names, their Hebrew names. It's probably years now that they've had these other names, these Babylonian names. He could have used those names, but he doesn't. He goes and finds, do you remember who he goes and finds? He goes and finds who is like God. God helps. God is gracious. That's who he goes and finds. Remember, that's what their names mean. He goes to them and he says, hey, fellas, we're in a tight spot here. But who's like God? God helps. God's gracious. Let's pray. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Right? And, uh, and it's wise. It's very wise. That upon recognizing his own limits, he recognizes that God is unlimited. And he goes to him in order to pray. And his prayer, or their prayer, is also very wise. Uh, we don't have it kind of written down for us, but the topic or, or the approach that they take is clear. He urged them to plead for mercy to the God of heaven. To plead for mercy. That was the nature of their prayer. They, they knew what they needed from God. They needed God to be merciful. And I think there's, there's a few dimensions to, to this prayer, this simple prayer, this plea. Uh, the, the first is that they plea for mercy because they understand the true nature of things. They see beyond Nebuchadnezzar. They see beyond this king in front of them, the king who sits on the earthly throne. They see beyond him, behind him, the king who sits on the heavenly throne. Throughout this passage, throughout this chapter, God, that God is called the God of heaven. There is a God in heaven. He sits on his throne. And, he, and being the God of heaven, he is the God or the king that, over all the kings that sit on their earthly thrones. And what that means is they, they know that their situation is actually uh, given to them by God. They understand that their circumstances, even though they are terrible circumstances, they're actually, God is in control of these circumstances. Remember, they, they've understood from the Old Testament why Israel is in Babylon. They know why they're in Babylon. They understand that uh, they're in Babylon because God's heavy hand of judgment was on his people. So instead of coming to God and saying, oh God, why have you done this to us? Uh, why have you put us in this terrible city? They already know the answer to that question. They know that Israel is under God's judgment because of their perpetual sin. Their perspective, it's informed by the warnings of the law and the prophets. And they know that above and behind this unjust and unreasonable king of Babylon is the just and fair king, who is in fact Lord of Lords. And so, they plead for mercy, because they understand that they, the nation, are under God's judgment. But they also know more about this God of heaven... They also plead for mercy because they know that it's in God's nature to show mercy. I don't know if you remember, it's a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, when we looked at Daniel uh, chapter 1 and, and why Israel were in Babylon, uh, we looked at Deuteronomy 4, way, way back, you know, right before the nation had even first landed in the Promised Land. Uh, and we saw that God explained clearly that they would be blessed for generations if they continued in the land to live his way. But if they turned away from him 
and it's kind of the if turns to when, when you turn away from him and you're scattered among the lands, uh, this is what will happen. Uh, In verse 30 and 31, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. That's God's nature. You see, it's his nature to be merciful, to show mercy. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. They plead to God for mercy because God has promised that he will be merciful. And finally, they plead to God for mercy because they know that unlike the so-called gods of Babylon, he is not distant. He is not inaccessible. He will come to save. The God of heaven is also the God who lives among his people. Even in exile, they can go to him. They have access to him. What a great model of godly wisdom for when we find ourselves out of our depth. What a great model to not keep it to ourselves and try to resolve whatever, even little things, right, that can in a certain day overwhelm us, as well as the big things, rather than turning inward to our own resources and trying to put things in order and strategize and whatever, to turn to the God who is so much greater than us and who is merciful and mighty to save. What a great model to not only pray that prayer in a corner, in a closet, but actually to go to our friends and say, brothers and sisters, pray for me. This is too much for me. Can you plead with me to the God of heaven? Great comfort in the friends, but great comfort in going with your friends. Guys, special plea, maybe I think the girls are better at this than we are. We... Strength in Christ isn't strength in ourselves. It's going together to God's throne of mercy and grace, recognising our limitations uh, and appealing to him. I don't know about you, but I know I've got all sorts of other alternate strategies for dealing with difficult situations, avoidance, self-pity, blame, just go to bed and hope that things will be better in the morning. That one sometimes works, Uh, but only in a limited way. I'm far too slow to plead for mercy to the God of heaven. How about you? Uh, The story moves on. In verse 19, uh, God answers the prayer of Daniel and his friends. And what Daniel does next reveals as much wisdom as his decision to pray in the first place does. And that is, his pleas to God, or their pleas to God, turn to praise to God. And this is another great reason for us to pray. See, if you, if you don't pray to God, then you won't praise God. I think that's generally true. If you, if, you don't pray, if you don't pray and then your circumstances do improve, what do you do with that? Well, generally, I think we take the credit. Oh, aren't I clever? to work my way out of that situation. Or perhaps we just kind of move on without giving it much thought. But if you plead to God for mercy and then your circumstances improve, well, you're much more likely to see God's hand in it and delight in giving him uh, the, the glory, the praise that he deserves. And that's what Daniel does. Daniel praises God for who he is and what he's done in that beautiful little prayer in verses 20 to 23. Uh, there's lots there. Uh, 
Martine read it for us really well, the emphasis on he, 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 you know, uh, praising God for his character and his work. Um, but I just want to point out uh, one special thing. Notice the connection between uh, what, who God is and what he has done. In verse 20, we read uh, that uh, wisdom and power are his. And then in verse 23, we read, you have given me wisdom and power. What God possesses, his nature, he is, uh, in his mercy, he is able and willing to bestow uh, upon those who know him and follow him. And he does. God enables Daniel to know what the dream was and to then go and interpret it. And that's where the story heads now. Uh, but Daniel doesn't stop praising God in that prayer uh, when he finishes his prayer. Do you notice this? He actually takes his praise of God to the king. Uh, as he goes to the king to tell him what he had dreamt and then explain it to him, his highest concern, I think even beyond saving himself and saving his friends and saving all the wise men of Babylon, I think his highest concern seems to be that God gets the praise for it. Uh, so we read in verses uh, 26 to 28, uh, the king says to him, so are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replies, no. He's <laughs> straight up, isn't he? He just says, no. In fact, he says the same as what all the other wise men, astrologers, etc., had said. No one can do this. You're crazy. No, he doesn't quite go that far. He says, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. This is beyond any human being. His point being, of course, that when he does do it, God's going to get the praise. And that's, that's what he says. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. This is what Daniel wants Nebuchadnezzar to know. There is a God in heaven, and I know this God in heaven, and this God in heaven saves because he is merciful. And he's actually God over you, Nebuchadnezzar. So here's your dream. Here's your dream uh, and what it means. Uh, the dream itself is pretty straightforward, really. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of a great statue. Uh, we read there in verse 31 of how great it is. Uh, there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. But as enormous, dazzling and awesome as it was, it was bowled over. I kind of got this image of ten-bin bowling, you know. Uh, God's just kind of picked his ball up out of the rack. It's a rock, actually. Just picked it up out of the rack kind of held it a few times and just run up and strike. <laughs> and the statue just shatters. It's a statue of gold and silver and bronze and iron and then a mixture of iron and clay down the bottom. It's vulnerable because it represents all the human kingdoms of the world. It's vulnerable. It gets struck by this rock, bowled over, and then swept away by the wind so that there's not even a trace of it. And the rock itself then became a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. That's the dream, and Daniel explains it. The parts of the statue, as I said, from the head down, they stand for successive kingdoms. Not just kings, but kingdoms, empires, if you like. Uh, other than Babylon itself, the other kingdoms aren't actually named. And I think that's really important. Uh, that's because they're not important. Right? The, the identity of those kingdoms doesn't really matter. Of course, we live after those events, 
This is prophecy written before we live after those events. We can look back. We know who came after Babylon. We know it was Persia. We know who came after Persia, that it was Greece. We know who came after Greece, that it was Rome. And we look at the details here and we think, yeah, that matches, that fits. Right? But it's not all that important. The point of the dream isn't just that God knows how history unfolds, although that is true, or even that God sets up and tears down the kingdoms of the earth. That is true as well, but it's not the point. The point is, the point of the dream is that God is going to establish his own kingdom. That God is going to establish a kingdom of his very own that will be so different to the kingdoms that came before it, mainly because it will be a kingdom that endures forever. Uh, that can't be replaced. What a contrast to the kingdoms of men that it will crush and replace. God is going to intervene decisively in human history. And indeed, from where we stand, he has. And again, it fits so perfectly. This mysterious rock. A rock's not a very special thing, is it? Compared to gold and silver and bronze, even iron, great material, strong material, powerful. And yet this rock cut out because it was cut out not by human hands, it's a mysterious description, isn't it? This rock, this humble rock, it fits Jesus perfectly. In fact, it also fits us perfectly. Think of Jesus' words to Peter, his disciple Peter, to whom he said, you are the rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. And then Peter, the same Peter, when he wrote a letter a little while later, his own description of a spiritual house that would be made up of living stones built on the foundation of the chief cornerstone, the rock, Jesus. Jesus, the humble carpenter's son who destroys and bests all the nations and kingdoms and kings of the world to be established as the king over all. See, God answered Daniel's prayer by, well, by doing what he asked, by showing mercy to Daniel and his friends, and through them, showing mercy to all the wise men of Babylon. But he also pointed forward through this dream to his plan for showing mercy to all who turn to him and seek it. So that's really what this passage is, is all about, that God shows mercy to the whole world through the Son and the kingdom that is established. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, his church, his people, which will endure forever, look around you, astounding, will endure forever. It's a kingdom founded on his mercy and on the only way by which that mercy could come, by the rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Today's episode of the story ends on a high. Uh, with Daniel and his friends not only being rescued from the chopping block, though that would have been relief enough, but then being raised, as Nebuchadnezzar had said they would be, being raised to positions of power and influence in Babylon. And in this final detail, we're reminded of another aspect of God's character. He's not only sovereign, he's not only merciful, but he is also full of grace. He gives us more than we deserve. His mercy is not a grudging gift, it's the sort of 
uh, gift that overflows and delights and brings further blessing. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It was a mystery to him. But our God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. He revealed the mystery of the dream in part to Daniel and now even more fully to us who have received the revelation of the rock of his son, Jesus Christ. He reveals his power and his mercy and his grace, his character, his dependability, his trustworthiness. And he revealed his plan to establish a kingdom that will not pass away and that he invites everybody to join through faith in his son. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that... uh, you have always had a plan, that you are the wise God who is over all and what you possess in wisdom and power you can make available that we might be able to find our place within your purposes. We thank you that you did that for Daniel, that you heard his plea for mercy and you granted it. We ask that you'll help us to be humble like Daniel and his friends. Uh, When our situation is difficult, give us wisdom and humility to come to you and seek your mercy and find it because you are the merciful God. Uh, We ask that you'll help each one of us to recognise our own limitations and fall from pride so that we will be able to receive all the blessings that you love to bestow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.